my name is Pastor Dustin. I'm the children's and middle school pastor here at Eagles View Church, and I'm super excited today. Not only do I get to continue this amazing story of Jonah with you, but tomorrow was literally starts one of my favorite weeks of the entire year, which is Vacation Bible School. This is an amazing, amazing time where we get to pour Christ into the kids of this community. And some of these kids have never stepped foot inside of a church before. Some kids, this is the only time their parents will let them come to church is during the summer. They go to multiple VBSs. VBSs? VBI? I don't know. There's plural VBSs. I don't know exactly what it is. Um, that's not in my notes, by the way. Um, but they get to go to multiple ones. And so a couple of years ago, we realized that we started seeing a pattern. Kids would show up and they would say, oh, I've already seen this one. I'm not interested. I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like, we change everything. We buy a box curriculum and open it up, but then we throw a lot of it away and we only use the graphics and we change the songs and we change the games and the skits and everything. And the kids are like, no, 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 I've seen it all. So it was two years ago, Kendra, uh, the preschool director and myself, we said, what if we write our own? We're already writing all this stuff anyway. We'll just come up with our own graphics, and then the kids can't say, I've seen it. And so last year, we did the swamp. We took the kids where, when we're stuck in the muck, God will lift us up. And so this year, last year, we were cleaning up uh, for VBS. It was that Thursday night after VBS, and Miss Kendra and I, we were talking. And we said, would it be cool if we took the kids on the journey with Jonah? And we didn't tell them about Jonah. We brought them with us on this journey for Jonah so they could see where Jonah's going and what he went through and what he struggled with. It'd be awesome. And so this year, we've really been thinking through how does this work. And so we have, we're going to take them literally to multiple different sets. And so this year, instead of having giant foam-carved trees like we did last year, we've got these banners that are going to come up and we're going to put them all together and it's just going to be awesome. And they're going to go to Nineveh and they're going to sit in the desert looking down on top of Nineveh when Jonah sits on the hill at the end. And it's just going to be so much fun. If you would like to help with VBS, we're going to have somewhere between 250 and 300 kids here for four nights. And, um, and it takes a small army to do this. And so first, if you haven't signed your kids up for VBS, please do so. If you've got kids that live next door, grandkids, nieces and nephews, we'd love to have them up here. And they get to hear God's word. It'll be awesome. They'll love it. So you can sign up at eaglesview.church slash events or slash VBS. Either one will get there. If you want to volunteer for VBS, I'd love to have your help and you still have time to do that. We have a training at the end of class, at the end of third service today. Just show up to that and we'll get you plugged in. It'll be an awesome time. So um, I want to show you a video really quickly. So we have a skit each day at VBS and this is the video we're going to play. It's 40 seconds long. And so it shows them kind of, it's just a bumper video heading into the skit. But I wanted you to see that before we get into today's lesson. Here we go. We are super excited about VBS. It's going to be an amazing time. So uh, if you will be praying for us this week, that we just clearly, articulately explain the gospel. That's awesome. All right, so we're going to take back into Jonah. If you haven't been here for the past couple of weeks, I'm going to bring you up to speed on where we're at in the book of Jonah and what's happening in this prophet's life. So God comes to this man named Jonah and says, get up and go to the city of Nineveh. 
and proclaim my word against it. And they were a wicked and evil people. And so God said to go tell them in 40 days I'm going to destroy the city. And so Jonah says, okay, God. He gets up. He obeys. But he goes the wrong direction. He goes to Tarshish. See, he, go, he hated the Ninevite people so much that he said, I'm, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to go the opposite direction. I'm going to run from God and his calling in my life. He goes down to the port of Joppa. He pays a fare, gets on a boat, and heads to Tarshish. And we saw last week, Pastor Jamie brought an amazing message where he talked about how God hurled a storm directly at that boat, specifically to get Jonah's attention. And so we're going to talk today, that's where we're picking up, is Jonah is on a boat with some sailors. And we know from last week's message that the sailors do not worship Yahweh, the one true God. They worship plural or multi-gods, little G-O-D-S's, fake gods. They weren't sure who God was, so they were worshiping these other things, who were powerless to stop this storm. And that's where we start the story today. Jonah's on a boat with some sailors. The storm has started, and, uh, and that's where we go. And one, one thing I realize as I'm reading through the book of Jonah is that Jonah's disobedience to God by not going where God called him to, it affected a lot of people around him along the way. And it made me think about a story when I was a kid. I was 14 years old. I was living in Georgia, um, Lilburn, Georgia, just north of like Stone Mountain, north of Atlanta. And um, one Christmas, we went on a Christmas retreat, like a winter retreat, went skiing at Boone, North Carolina. And so I was in the, uh, the bus leaving from our church. This kid sitting next to me, his name was Jim, introduced himself to me. He was 16 at the time. He's two years older than me. And uh, he had a Mustang. When I was 16, I said, do you have a car? He said, yeah, I got a Mustang. And I went, a Mustang? I've never even, I've never been in a Mustang before. My brother, his favorite car, my brother's 13 months older than me. His name is Vic. His favorite car of all time was a 1969 Mustang Fastback. And I'm like, is it this? And he said, no, it's not that, but it's still awesome. And so I'm expecting this amazing Mustang that he has. And so we get back from skiing, and he says, hey, I'm going to come pick you up, and we're going to drive around. I'm like, that's amazing. So my brother and I, were ready. He pulls up, and this is what he pulls up in. 1986 Mustang Coupe, right? And it's a Mustang, but it's not the fastback that I was kind of hoping for. So we get, walk out to the car, and then he takes the keys and he throws them at me. And he says, you drive. And I'm like, Bob, I'm 14. I don't have my license. He goes, ah, just drive. It's fine. And I did exactly what a seven-year-old would do with a golf cart on a street. I was in the wrong lane. I was blowing through stop signs. Red lights meant nothing to me, right? I mean, I was defying every law that there could be. It was the grace of God. I didn't hit somebody and kill him or kill all three of us in the car. It was horrible, right? I mean, just a really awful situation. And then my brother goes, it's my turn. 13 months older than me. He's 15. He doesn't have his permit yet. And so I hand him the keys. I get in the back of this Mustang coupe, and he starts taking them, doing the exact same thing. He's going the wrong way. I mean, it's just, it's horrible. But then he gets on Highway 29, which is a major highway on the north side of Lilburn, kind of runs through Atlanta area. And there's major buildings on the side, like businesses on the side of the road. So it's dark, cars and lights and everything are going on. And as I, we were flying down the road, going way too fast, this car whips out from a parking lot, and then the red and blues go off, right? And I'm like, oh, man. So I was like, Vic, there's a police officer following us. And Vic does exactly what he shouldn't do. He steps on the gas, and now we're in a high-speed pursuit <laughs> away from this police officer, Right? And I'm like, I'm going to jail. I've seen this on TV, right? All I'm missing is the cop's theme song, but there's going to be a camera. It's going to be all horrible. So we're going down the road, and I'm like, I don't know what we're going to do here. Luckily, I'm not in the driver's seat at this time. But my brother has a f the second best decision of the night, other than to run from a police officer, is to dart behind a building 
and circle around to turn his lights off. So that's what he does. He darts between these two buildings, circles around, puts his lights off. And I remember looking forward, and I see the cinder block walls of these buildings. And then about two minutes later, these red and blue lights start slowly spiraling off of these walls as it's coming towards us. And then that white halogen light by the driver's window, it's just like so bright. I thought, oh, we're in trouble, like big time trouble. Police officer's coming up. He's got one hand on his flashlight, one hand on his hip. He comes up and he says, I need to see your driver's license. My brother's like, well, about that, right? And, uh, and so here's the thing. Jim, it was his car, his willingness to disobey affected us. Now, it was 100% my decision to drive the car. It was 100% if we had gotten in a wreck while I was driving, that was on me. And I take full responsibility for making a bonehead move. Luckily, God saved us and everything was okay. But Jim's willingness to disobey affected us. If he would have said, no, I'm going to obey the law, I would have never been in the driver's seat of his Mustang 1986 coupe, right? The police officer, I don't know how, but he let us go, no problem, and we were able to drive home. Um, But I realized that our decisions can affect other people. And that's where we find Jonah in this situation. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to back up one verse. The sailors asked Jonah a question, actually a series of questions. They were like, who are you? Where are you from? Who are your people? What are you doing here? And this is Jonah's answer, and then we're going to go forward. And we're going to look today at three reasons we are to obey God. And we're going to see them in this story of Jonah on the boat with these sailors. But I want you to notice Jonah fails every single time of all three of these reasons we are to obey God. So here we go. So Jonah answered them, I am a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for they had already, he had already told them that he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. So he acknowledged who he was. I'm a Hebrew. And I worship Yahweh, the one true God. He acknowledged who that was. So here's the first reason that we obey God. First reason we obey God is because we understand the heart and the character of God. Jonah messed up in understanding the heart of God. See, he hated the people who lived in Nineveh. He hated them so much that when God told him to go, he said, yeah, I know that you love them, but your love for them is not as strong as my hate for them, so I'm going to go the other way. If he understood God's heart and how much he fiercely loves the lost and will do whatever it takes, including sending his son to this earth to find them and restore them back to him, he would have immediately gone to Nineveh. But he didn't understand the heart and character of God. And so to help explain this idea of understanding the heart and the character of God, I'm going to introduce you to a couple of people. So here's the first. I'm going to introduce you, these are police officers. And I'm going to start by saying I believe being a police officer in the United States is probably one of the hardest jobs in the United States right now. I am incredibly grateful for every first responder and police officer. They put their lives and security online so that my family can have safety and security. And so I just want to start by saying thank you to all the first responders and police officers for the jobs that you do. Thank you so much for keeping us safe. Their job is to enforce laws. Not to, not to write them, but to enforce them. And so there are laws associated with multiple different things, but one of them is, is how we drive motor vehicles on the, on the roadway. And if a police officer sees me breaking those laws, it is his job and responsibility to pull me over and to correct me. And his correction is a piece of paper that represents two to $400 of my money, depending on how fast I was going, unless I was in a school zone or construction area, which are all over, and then it goes up from there. And that's his job, right? It's not a personal attack against me. It's he's doing his job, and I violated those laws, but he's doing that. Let me introduce you to somebody else. This is Victor Remmers and, and Rose Remmers. This is my mother and father. 
My dad, Victor Remmers, has been there my entire life. He was there the day I was born. He was there at the kitchen table when I struggled in math. He was there when I fell and, and a gate hit my knee and I had to have stitches. He picked me up and comforted me. When I was scared at night, he came into my room and he consoled me. My dad has been there the entire time. But there are times where my dad, because he loves me, had to correct me. One of those was when I drove the car, right? I had to call him and tell him. Um, let me show you another picture of my dad. This is, um, it's small, you have to squint your eyes a little bit. My dad is, is obviously the bigger of the three of us, right? He's in the back. Um, that little bundle of joy is my sister. She's, uh, her name is Faith. She's four years younger than me. Um, I'm the guy in the, the uh, fruit stripe gum shirt that's unbuttoned down to the middle of my chest. And so my brother is in the corner. You can see him. He's 13 months older than me. His name is Victor. This is an awesome picture. I was looking through my mom's Facebook page to try to find a picture of my parents to put on here. And, uh, and I fell, found this one. I was like, oh, this works two ways. Not only does it show he's there at the moment my sister's born. And you can just see he's looking into her eyes. Like, he's like, that's my little girl. But then if he rose his eyes just a little bit, he's like, there's my boy with a bandage around his head. Because we, two days earlier than this, watched Superman. And at the, right when the credits started playing, I just yelled, I'm Superman, you're Lex Luthor. And I lunged at him at my grandmother's house, pushed him off the bed. He hit his head on the nightstand, laid his head open. And I'm like, oh, this is so bad. And he gets stitches. And then it wouldn't stop bleeding. And so they put a bandage around it. This is days later. It's still bleeding. My mom, I asked her about it. And she had, uh, just like yesterday, and she had said, yeah, they had told us if the bandage didn't stop the bleeding, we were, they're going to have to go do surgery and like carterize it and everything. And so anyway, there was correction right after this picture, like directly after. And so, but my dad loves me and he cares for me and he wants better for me and he doesn't want me to stay stuck in my sin. He wants me to grow and, and learn from my sin, right? So let's take a look at both of these people right next to each other. The police officer... He cares for me, but he has a job to do. My father cares for me and he loves me. Both of them can correct me. And where we, where we make mistakes, where, we, where we, we slip up is as a Christian, we look at God like he's a police officer. He's sitting on his throne. He's just waiting for you to make mistakes so that he can issue punishment to you. And that's not God. Does God punish us? Absolutely. And does he correct us? Yes, so that we can become better and not stay in our sin. God is... I would say much more like my father. He's much better than, right? Because as humans, we're flawed. But he loves us like our father loves us. And he, yes, he corrects us, but he does it so that we become better. And he does it in a loving way. And we screw up and think that God is, is this bully on a throne that's waiting to, to issue punishment to us. But he's really looking out for us and caring for us. If we understood the heart and the character of God, we obey him. Because we realize even in those moments of correction, this is for my betterment. Jonah didn't understand the heart and character of God when it came to the lost. Okay. So, and we, we see in John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. When he says the world, he's not talking about this sphere that he created that we live on. He's talking about the lost that live on that sphere. God loves the lost so much that he gave his one and only son, that if we believe in him, we should not perish but have eternal life. Let's take a look at the next thing that we can see. This is in Jonah 11, or verse 1, chapters 11, and, or verses 11 and 12. It says, and since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, they, as in the sailors, asked him, what should we do to you to stop the storm? Throw me in the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. 
See, if you notice, the sailors, they're looking at Jonah for the answer. They're looking to him and saying, what do we do? The second reason we obey God, we obey the Lord because the world is watching us. Guys, it's so important for us to realize that your relationship with God is your relationship. But the world is watching how you handle that to say, do I want to be part of this or not? And so there was a man in uh, the 1600s. His name was Blaise Pascal. He was a mathematician and a philosopher. He has lots of famous quotes. Here's one of them. It says that there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing but only by God, the creator, made known through Jesus. See, 400 years ago, Pascal was able to articulately put into words that there's a hole in our life that's there for a purpose, and that's to be, it, it sends us on this mission to find what is going to fill this hole, and there's only one thing that can fill it, and that's God the creator. God loved you enough to put clues inside of you that want to seek after him. But if we look thousands of years ago, Ecclesiastes, Solomon wrote a book. He had everything that you could want. He had all the money, all the power, all the riches. And here's what he said after everything. He wrote a book in the Bible called Ecclesiastes. And, and Pastor Bart and Pastor Randy, they did a fantastic job explaining this a little bit ago. But he said, when I got to the mountaintop, there's nothing there. It's all vapor in the wind. The things that we try to fill, that God-shaped vacuum in our life, we try to fill it with created stuff. We try to fill it with money. We try to fill it with relationships. We've now... 400 years after Pascal, we're trying to fill it with social media and how many followers we can get and what job title we have and what car do we drive, what RV do we have, what boat do we have. Like it's all stuff and stuff is not bad in and of itself and it will distract us for a little while, but it can never fill that void that's in our heart because it wasn't designed to. The only thing that can fill that void is a relationship with our heavenly father because that's what we were designed to be in. We see in the Garden of Eden, God walked with Adam and Eve every day. He wants to be in a fellowship, relationship with you. And that's why he sent his son to die on the cross to buy you back when our sins separated us from him. So I started a couple weeks ago. I knew I was going to be preaching on this. And I was like, how can I, as a kid's pastor, my job is to break everything down to the lowest common denominator to where a child can understand it. And so I started thinking, God, how can I explain this idea that the world is watching us in a way that makes sense? And, and I was laying in bed at the middle of the night, and God gave me, oh, I'm just knock that over. God gave me a word picture, and this is what it is. Imagine a circus comes to town, and we all go to the circus. And inside the circus, there's a hall of mirrors. We all walk into the hall of mirrors, buy our tickets, walk in. Now we're stuck in this room, and we don't know how to get out. So what do we do? We walk up to a mirror, and we look in that mirror, and we say, what do I see? Do I see me? A reflection of myself. And if you do, that's just a mirror. There's no way out there. So I'm going to go to the next mirror. I'm going to say, what do I see? Do I see a reflection of me or something different? You're going to keep doing that until you get between a gap of two mirrors that does not look like you. That's the, the hallway to the next room. And then you're going to follow that. And if you keep following that same process, you will eventually find your way out of a hall of mirrors. It's the same way in our Christian life. The world, the lost world that's trying to fill this void in life with all this stuff, they're going to come up to you and they're going to look at you. And they're going to say, what do I see when I look in you? Do I see the world looking back at me? Because if I see a reflection of myself in you, you're doing all the same things I'm doing. You don't have the answer to fill this void in my life. But if they come to you and they look at you and they say, what do I see? And they see Christ living in you, now they're interested. Because things are different now and that's going to be how they get out of the room. We can't save anybody, but Christ through us 
wants to save everybody. And so our job is to not look like us. Our job is to be a reflection of Christ who lives within us. And so my question to you is, when the world sees you, what do they see? Do they see you or do they see him? All right, let's take a look at the next part of Jonah. All right, instead, Jonah said, throw me in. Instead, the sailors rode even harder to get the ship to land. I want you to catch this. They had more care for his well-being than he had for their eternal soul. And so they said, no, we're going to row even harder to get to land. It says that the sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. So they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God, oh Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sins, and don't hold us responsible for his death, oh Lord. You have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked up Jonah and threw him into the raging sea. And the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now, the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. I want to make something really, really clear. We can't save anybody. We couldn't save ourselves. Christ left heaven, came to earth, and built a way for us to have redemption through his son, through, God did through his son, Jesus Christ. All we can do is point people to the cross. That's what our job is. And I want you to see how Jonah failed at this. Here's our, here's our next point. Is that we obey the Lord because we are part of his rescue plan for the world. But when he got thrown off the boat, I want you to notice he didn't say, hey, by the way. He knew there was one true God. He served him. They were in the middle of the storm because of that. And his job was to share Christ with the lost world or Yahweh with the lost world, right? And so as he's being thrown over, not once did he say, hey, guys, before you throw me, I need to introduce you to this. The God of all of this, he loves you, and he wants to have a relationship with you. If you put your faith in him, you'll be saved. Okay, now throw me over. He just said, throw me over. He didn't care about their soul, right? Oh, he might have cared about it, but he didn't care enough to share anything with them. And so we, we need to. We need to be, we realize that we have a job, and that job is to be part of the rescue plan for this lost world. I want to, um, when I was a kid, I was in high school, my dad and I, we, we liked to go hunting. I was living in Georgia at the time, and so... Georgia is a lot of hills and trees, and, and so you don't have these really, really long shots like you have here. Here, in, I mean, you can have six, 700-yard shot, and so you need a rifle that can get there. Well, in Georgia, the trees are overgrown, and, and so you just don't have that long of a shot. So I was shooting a 30-30 rifle, the first rifle I ever had. My dad and I, we go hunting. He takes me out to this lease that I've never been to before, and we start walking down these lanes that have been cut into these rows of trees that were about 15 15 or 16 feet wide, and they were probably 150 feet long, and so 150 yards long. And so he took me to the middle of one of these, and I could see about 70 yards in one way and about 70 yards in the other way. He said, sit here. It's called a ground blind when you're sitting on the ground. And so he said, stay right here, put your back against this tree, and look both ways. And so if a deer comes, get it, and we'll get it. We'll have meat, and it'll be great. And I was like, okay. So I'm sitting there. He goes, but don't, don't shoot in that direction because that's where I'll be. I'm like, okay, Dad. So he takes off. I know not to shoot in that direction. I'm looking this way. It's starting to get dark. Sun's going down. And my dad shot a 30-30, which is a pretty high-powered rifle. And I could hear it has a very unique sound um, as it's, as it, when it's fired. It, it sounds like lightning in the air. It goes like through the air. So he shoots. And the proximity of it to me and the sound, I was like, that's my dad's gun for sure. 
I bet he shot something, and you have to go find the deer. Sometimes they don't drop right away. You have to go in the woods a little bit. So the sun's going down, and I'm like, man, okay, I know the truck is that direction, but he also told me to stay here, but I could maybe, maybe I could help my dad find the deer, right? So I'm going to get up, and I'm going to go find the truck. It's a couple of turns here and there, and I'll find salvation, which is the truck, my safety, my security. I get up, and I start walking and make a couple of the turns that I thought, next thing I know, hopelessly lost. I don't have a phone. I don't have a flashlight. I don't have a way of making a tent or a fire. I just have this rifle slung on my shoulder, and I'm lost in the woods. And then it hits me all of a sudden. My dad doesn't know where I'm in now. I'm stuck in these woods. And so I stop right there in the middle of this lane that was cut, and I just prayed. And I said, God, how, how, do, how do I get out of this? And I felt like that rifle on my shoulder got to be about 50 pounds, and I felt like God was saying, you have a, a noisemaker hanging on your arm. So I shot it three times in the air, and I just waited. And about 15 to 20 minutes later, I see a flashlight come bouncing through the woods. And that's my dad. He gets to me. I want you to realize when my dad got to me, nothing changed about my situation. I didn't know where the truck was. I didn't have a flashlight to find the truck, and I didn't know what direction to walk in, but he did. And all he had to do was point that flashlight in the direction of the truck, and if I followed it, I would find the safety and security of the truck. That's what we are called to do. We are not called to save anybody. We are called to point to the cross, and Jesus has done all the work there. But it's important that when they see us, they see Christ living in us, which means the way we handle stress can't be the way the world handles stress. The way we handle promotions at work can't be the way the world handles promotions at work. The way we raise our kids can't be the way the world does. What we watch on TV, what we subscribe to on the internet, what we, what we do in our free time, it's got to be glorifying and uplifting to the Lord because the world is watching you even when you don't realize it. And it's important that they see him in you so that when they see us, we can effectively point the, cross, or point the light to the cross. One of the mistakes we make as a believer is we think, okay, the Lord wants to be in a relationship with me, and he does. And he sent his son to die on the cross, and if I believe in him, I will be forgiven of my sins and given eternal life. And you will. But we think that's the finish line. As soon as we come into the saving relationship with Christ, we're done. Hands up. We're good. But that's not what the Bible says. And if it was true, God would whisk you away to heaven to be with him, right? Because that's what he wants. He wants to be in a relationship with you. But if we take a look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20, this is called the Great Commission. Let me tell you what's going on in this story. Jesus has lived his 33-year life. The last three years of it, he was baptized by John the Baptist. And then he went around healing and performing miracles. And then we, humanity, put Christ to death. We put him on the cross. He gave up his life. He was put in a tomb for three days. He conquered sin and the grave. And he rose again. He spent about 40 days walking around and seeing some other people. And then he gathers the disciples one last time. And this is that moment where he's about to ascend into heaven. And here's what he says. This is his goodbye, his parting words to his believers here on earth before he goes to be with the Father again. He says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here's the thing. Our job is to glorify God, first and foremost. But it's to make disciples. It's to share him with this lost world. And so we need to make sure we take that job very seriously. Because the sailors who got on the boat with Jonah didn't know they were lost. They thought the gods they were serving were the gods that were going to be able to save them. But they couldn't even save them from the storm that God sent their way. We know who the one true God is. We've seen what he's done in our lives and the, the lives around us. 
We need to make sure that the world sees that through the way we live and the way we act. It's vitally important. The first reason we obey God is because we understand the heart and character of God. The second reason we obey God is because the world is watching us. And the third reason is because we are part of that rescue plan for other people. It's important that we realize this. Now, here's the deal. I talked about three ways or three reasons we obey God. What I didn't mention today is he wants to bless you. The Bible says he has storehouses of blessings that he wants to pour out on you. And those blessings are directly tied to your obedience. But that's not the reason. That's not the main reason we obey God. It's, uh, the blessings God wants to give me is irrelevant. Because there are people that are lost that if they don't come to a saving relationship with Christ, they will be separated from him forever. And I know God loves those people, and my job is to point my, my light towards the cross so that they see him through me. And if God chooses to bless me on the way, that's on him. My job is not to get blessed. My job is to, to point those to, to the one true king. And so where do we find ourselves at this very end? And honestly, it's right back where Jonah started at the end of this message. We're all on a boat right now. You're either Jonah and you have a relationship with God, or you're the sailors and you're trying to fill that void in your life. If you're Jonah, how do, we know who we're to, how do we know what God is calling us to do? How do we know what he wants us to, to, to be doing in our life, to be obedient to him? And we take a look at 2 Timothy 3.16. Here's what it says. It says that all scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and make us what is realized what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. If you are a follower of Christ... We are called to have a daily quiet time with God. We've got to be in his word. Otherwise, how do you know what he's asking you to do? So we've got to be in his word. And I know that we're busy with everything. I get it. You've got to find a way to take 10 minutes out of the day and spend some time in God's word. And you're going to say, well, I've already read through the Bible or I've already read through this story. God's word is alive. It's not like a regular book. When you read David and Goliath, Read it every day for 30 days, and you're going to get 30 different things out of it. I promise you, God talks to you every day through the Bible. And so you've got, to, you've got to find a time to do that. And then you've got to find time to pray to God. God wants to talk to you. And that doesn't mean just that we need to pray before we eat, right, and before we go to bed. But it's not just that, dear God, thank you for all you've done. Thank you for this food. Amen. That's you talking at God, not talking to God. You need to sit quietly and let God talk to you back. It's so important, guys. And if, you're, if you've mastered these spiritual disciplines, you've got a daily quiet time with God, you have a healthy prayer life with God, go find another believer that doesn't. And go and hold them accountable and say, let's do this together. Because it's so much easier to start something if you have somebody to start it with. All right, if you're the sailor on the boat, you have been trying to find something to fill this void in your life. You've tried everything you can find. You've tried money. You've tried possessions. You guys, what our job, if we have a relationship with Christ, is just to point the, the, the light to the cross, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to present the gospel to you. At the beginning of time, God created the world, and he created Adam and Eve in a place called the Garden of Eden. And he did that to have a relationship with them. And he told them, you can do anything you want to do in this garden, but don't eat from this specific tree called the knowledge of good and evil. And that Satan came in the form of a serpent, and he tricked Adam and Eve. And, and ultimately what happened was God said, I want you to trust my authority, my wisdom. And Adam and Eve said, I think our wisdom is greater than yours. We're going to go with what we want to do. We're going to violate your will. We're going to eat from this, this tree that we're not supposed to. And by doing that, sin entered the world. 
The Bible says that sin was accredited to all mankind because of that. What sin nature is, which is what we have been given because of that, it's the same thing when I tell you don't do something or your parents told you, hey, that over there, don't do it. You didn't even notice it before, but now that's all you want to do. If you've got kids, I don't need to explain that at all. We all know what a sin nature is. And so we have all sinned. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Guys, if you've ever taken something that doesn't belong to you, that makes us a thief. If you've ever said something that's not true, that makes you a liar. If you've ever used God's name in a way that wasn't honoring and glorifying him, you've blasphemed the name of the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. The Bible says if you're a liar, a thief, and a blasphemer, you can't be in the kingdom of heaven. And that creates a huge problem because that encompasses all of us. But God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to come to this earth, live a sinless life, and die on the cross for you. And if you just reach out and accept the gift of salvation that he wants to give you, the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. He no longer looks at you as a liar and a thief and a blasphemer. He sees his son, Jesus Christ's righteousness, wrapped around you. And when you get to go to heaven, he doesn't look at you and say, you know, I did not know you depart. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Guys, if you want to fill that void in your life that I know you've been desperately trying to fill with all of this stuff and nothing has filled it, guys, I want to introduce you to Jesus. He changed my life. He changed the life of many people that I know. And I've seen him firsthand work. As I want to pray with you really quickly. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you for the story of Jonah. God, he is a, he's a, a prophet that did everything a prophet shouldn't do. And God, we can learn from his mistakes. God, he ran from you. God, I pray that you help us run to you. God, he failed to show the world your love. God, I pray that we hold our light and hold it firmly on the cross. God, so when the world sees us, they don't see us, but they see you dwelling inside of us and they see your son glorious. God, if there's somebody in this room that has not placed their faith in you, God, if there's somebody online that's watching and they're trying desperately to fill this void that's in their life with stuff, God, I pray you show up and make yourself evidently known to them. God, so that they can do what you call us to in Romans 10, 9, and 10, which is to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God rose him from the dead. The Bible says we will be saved. God, it's not a matter of the exact words we use. It's an attitude of the heart that we are lifting you up, acknowledging who you are, admitting who we are, that we are sinners. And God, we believe. God, and then we turn and we repent from our sins. God, help us to do that. God, give the courage to the individuals, God, that you are already knocking on the door of their heart. Give them courage to go find a believer and say, help me understand what this relationship with God looks like. What steps do I need to do to enter this relationship? And then what do I do from there? God, thank you so much for loving the lost. In Jesus' name.